0: More than any other time in history, 2024 is the year where public opinion will decide the direction of travel for our world. For the first time, more than 70 countries, together home to more than half the world's population, will go to the polls in a single year. They will vote in legislative elections, presidential elections, and, in the case of the European Union, supranational elections. There is a lot on the line. The past decade has seen a rise in populism unlike any witnessed since the early 20th century, The social, political, and economic global order built after the end of the Cold War is being turned upside down. Throw into that mix new wars, the aftershocks of a global pandemic, and the rise of new technologies that will upend the way many of us live our lives. All that means that the average voter, whether they be in South Korea or South Africa, India or Indonesia, the United Kingdom or the United States, has a lot on their mind. Welcome to the Year of Elections, the premier series of An Opinion a new podcast brought to you by the Opinion Desk at The National. I'm Suleiman Hakimi, The National's opinion editor, speaking to you from our studio here in Abu Dhabi. And in this series, I'll be joined by experts, diplomats, civil servants, writers, and thinkers to take you through the votes that are shaping the world. To follow this channel, you can find us on your favorite podcasting platform and hit subscribe. Our episode this week is on Pakistan a nuclear power and one of the most populous countries in Asia, mired in political and economic crisis. The country's general election is scheduled for February 8th, and the run-up has seen a lot of drama surrounding one of the country's leading figures, former Prime Minister Imran Khan, who was cast from power nearly two years ago and recently given a lengthy prison sentence. Since August 2023, a caretaker government backed by the military has run the country, and now a host of political parties are gearing up for the February 8th vote, where they will set a new direction, or not, for Pakistan's political future. Joining me in the studio is Hussein Haqqani, a prolific journalist, academic, and political activist who spent three years as Pakistan's ambassador to the United States. He is now a senior fellow at the Anwar Gargash Diplomatic Academy here in Abu Dhabi. We're also joined from New York by Johan Chako, a regular South Asia columnist for The National who researches politics and extremism in Pakistan at the School of Oriental and African Studies in London. Gentlemen, welcome. Ambassador Haqqani, we'll start with you. Um, For those of us who aren't so familiar with Pakistan's political landscape, could you just give us a sense of the the nature of the country's democracy? I mean, we saw one government fall in April 2022, with the Pakistani military last year playing a large role in bringing a caretaker government into office. Does the democratic process mean much in Pakistan? I mean, do these elections really matter? Uh,
1: The democratic process in Pakistan, at least since 1958, has basically only meant who will be the Army's partner, civilian partner in government. There have been times when the civilians have had a freer hand, for example, immediately after uh, the separation of Bangladesh from Pakistan in 1971, uh, and also uh, for other short episodes in Pakistan's history. But primarily, the Army is the stabilizing factor on the one hand, but also the factor that uh, is the decisive one. Uh, So these elections uh, will determine uh, who will be the civilian head of government, Uh, there will be a parliament, uh, and yet that parliament's authority will continue to be circumscribed uh, by the military's uh, worldview. The one caveat is that uh, if there is an upset in these elections, uh, it could have one of two outcomes. One is that the military totally retreats from the political arena, which it has done for short periods in the past, but not very long, uh, sort of deferring to public opinion. I do not think that that is the likely scenario. The alternative is to allow the new government to make those decisions that upset the military, and then the military steps in again. I don't think that is very likely either. So, what we are probably in for is another round of hybrid government like we have had in the past, and this time, uh, a new set of partners for the military than the previous ones. So just
0: um, to help us understand what this hybrid government could look like, uh, just lay out for us the main the main political parties. Uh,
1: Pakistan has several political parties. Uh, the largest ones are the Pakistan Muslim League, which was the party that led Pakistan to independence in 1947, but since 1988 has been the vehicle uh, for the family of former Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif. Uh, He and his brother and his daughter, and many of his nephews and nieces, are all in the party. Um, And the party has come into office multiple times since 1988 uh, with the Sharif family helming it. It says that it is a center right political party, supports a free uh, market economy, and generally wants better relations with the West and with uh, the Arab Muslim countries. Uh, And also, in recent years, has become very Um, sort of desirous of some form of normalization with India. The other big old party is the Pakistan People's Party, which was founded by former Prime Minister Zulfiqar Ali Bhutto in 1967. He won Pakistan's first free election in 1970 from the area that is now Pakistan. Uh, He described himself as, as left of center, a social democrat. His daughter Benazir Bhutto became prime minister twice. And now his grandson, Bilawal Bhutto Zardari, is the defector head of the party, even though the party is controlled by Zulfiqar Ali Bhutto's son-in-law and Benazir Bhutto's uh, widower, uh, Asif Ali Zardari. Uh, That party has much more support in the south of the country. They have never lost control of the Sindh province where Karachi, Pakistan's largest port city is, Um, but they have uh, declined in terms of influence in the rest of the country over the years, although they used to be a national political party. The third important party is the Pakistan Tehrik Saf, the Pakistan Movement for Justice. This was formed in 1997 uh, by former cricketer Imran Khan, who had just retired from cricket. Uh, He came in in the tradition of celebrity populists, uh, but from 1997 until 2013 did not get any traction politically in 2013 the pakistan military started supporting him because they were upset with the two other political parties whom they blamed for corruption but also because they thought the ppp was moving too close to the united states and therefore putting pressure on the military in terms of policy relating to afghanistan which at that time of course had uh, american military presence and from there uh, the united states used to operate uh, drones against uh, people they consider or described as terrorists and who they said were based in Pakistan. Um, And then if you remember, Osama bin Laden was found in Pakistan uh, while the PPP was in office. So the military also had people who suspected that the ruling party may have secretly collaborated uh, with the Americans in finding bin Laden there. So Imran Khan uh, received this support from the military from 2013 onwards. A lot of prominent Pakistani Politicians from other parties started joining Imran Khan's party, party got traction, and in 2018, he was elected with full backing from the military, except that he lost the military's confidence in 2022, when the military basically let the other parties oust him in a vote of no confidence in parliament. Instead of accepting that as a normal political move, he decided to go the populist route again and said that he had been ousted as a result of a conspiracy between the military and the United States, and he's sticking to the guns on that one. So now the military sees him as a, an enemy or a challenge. Other parties of consequence include the Jamia ma Islam, the Society of Islamic Scholars, uh, it is led by molana Fazr rahman whose father was also once chief minister of pakistan's northwestern province think of them as afghanistan's taliban ready for elections and willing to come into elective elective office uh, and so slightly um, much more right wing much more uh, uh, religiously oriented but at the same time, willing to make political compromises, and it interestingly, they have been alternately allies with Nawaz Sharif's Muslim League, and with the Pakistan People's Party, which shows their flexibility. Then there is a host of regional political parties that represent various Pakistani ethnic groups and nationalities. And Johan, what what do you have to say about this assessment of the of the political landscape? Do you, do you think that
0: about covers everything?
2: I'd add one more party, the Tehri labbaik Pakistan, which is a relative newcomer, but it's grown very rapidly in prominence in Punjab. And Punjab um, holds the majority of Pakistan's population, it's about 60% of the economy. It's also critical to winning a majority in the National Assembly. The Tehri labbaik is, in some ways, a much more extremist party than even the JUI, which Ambassador Haqqani. Uh, mentioned. Um, And that's in part because for them, politics is really, uh, is about disruption. Um, They come generally from a lower middle class background. They feel excluded by the political order. And they also represent the part of Pakistani society that takes uh, blasphemy extremely seriously. In fact, the the party emerged essentially to defend the assassin of the governor of Punjab. An event uh, that was deeply traumatic to uh, many in Pakistan, uh, especially those who hoped for a more um, pluralistic outcome. They have done extremely well in a number of recent elections, um, often placing third in many constituencies. So people will be watching with great concern and interest to see how they perform um, in these elections.
1: And in some seats, the votes that they pull away could actually be decisive in the sense that they will be taking votes away either from the uh, Nawaz Sharif's Muslim League or from Imran Khan's PTI. And so whoever they hurt more uh, will be affected, even if the P- uh, TLP, does, tahriq e labbaik does not win any seats.
0: Hmm. And if we're talking about kingmakers, there's also um, Jahangir Tareen.
1: So Jahangir Tareen uh, is a establishment politician, landed uh, family from the south of uh, Punjab, um, big businessman, uh, part of what now is described by Imran Khan as the sugar mafia, even though he was a leading member of Imran Khan's party and was its bankroller for the elections of 2013 and 2018. Um, He... Uh, broke ranks with Imran Khan when Imran Khan started his confrontation with the military in 2022. Uh, and his, uh, he has formed a new political party called the Istihkam-e-Pakistan Party, the Solidarity of Pakistan Party. And that has many influential people. Let me explain to you who these influential electables are. Mm-hmm. In many parts of Pakistan, especially rural parts, there are certain families that have been in politics going back to the British era. And these were landed people who actually looked after the local people with some sort of, uh, you know, noblesse oblige in some cases, uh, in some cases just outright uh, local muscle. And many of these families, of course, now are into their fifth or sixth political generation. And many of them uh, have what I would call local political machines that can turn out the vote, that know everybody who lives in their villages, in their district. Uh, And so these influentials have personal vote banks, which they combine with the votes of a political party to create a winning combination. And political parties uh, try to get these influentials to join their ranks so that their chances of getting elected would be higher. And so many influentials joined Imran Khan's party between 2013 and 2018, uh, encouraged by the military. Now, many of them have left Imran Khan's party, again encouraged by the military, to Jahangir Tareen's party. And so they too could end up with a large chunk of seats uh, and ask for a seat at the table in case the election does not have a single clear majority party. Right now, the electoral math does not seem to indicate that any single party will have an absolute majority in Pakistan's parliament.
0: Johan, I just have a question for you about the... I mean... Ambassador Hakani has talked a lot about electoral math, the the, the complex machinery of the electoral system there, um, all this wrangling for coalition and hybrid governments. Um, it seems very similar to what you see in a lot of other, uh, some would say, uh, more open democracies, and yet we have this picture in the background of actually, uh, you know, the military and the military's opinion. Um, is the driving force in, in politics in Pakistan. How do you reconcile the idea that the military has such a powerful hand in politics, but at the same time, the electoral system is is so complex and, and uh, high stakes?
2: I think the short answer to that question is that the Pakistani public believes in elections, but also believes in the army. And it hasn't quite decided which it believes in more. And so in that sense, these are two different systems of governance that have to uneasily coexist. The big problem uh, in many cases, though, is that Pakistan's political parties pursue a very zero-sum type of politics. So it's very hard to get the parties to agree to essentially a code of conduct by which they will uphold democracy rather than it's
1: a winner take all system, right? Um,
2: and so parties often have a an incentive to you know if they think that they they can get ahead by cutting a deal with the military, we will go ahead and do that. So um, that essentially leaves the the military as the permanent kingmaker. The military loves um, elections that don't produce a clear winner because then that really reaffirms their position as as the kingmaker.
1: It makes it easier for them to be kingmakers. But even when they have been clear majorities like Nawaz Sharif got in 1997 uh, and then again in 2013, even then the military can be kingmaker through other means, uh, using the judiciary, for example, uh, which is what happened in 2017 when Nawaz Sharif was removed from office by direct action of the Supreme Court, unprecedented anywhere in the world uh, by was done. Uh, The military also influences the media uh, and can use the media to create a scandal or a big noise, and then that big noise can engulf uh, uh, somebody. Uh, The person gets drowned in that, and then things go back to normal. The irony is that historically, whoever the military has actually worked to oust at one point ends up becoming their future partner to oust somebody else. So we are seeing right now, for example, a total role reversal. Uh, The military was with Imran Khan against Nawaz Sharif in 2018, five years ago. The military is with Nawaz Sharif against Imran Khan in 2024. And uh, neither side wants to acknowledge that reality. So that, I think, is another major factor. Instead of the politicians cooperating with one another on agreeing to rules of the game and saying, yes, we Will abide by these principles of democracy while at the same time, uh, you know, working with the military on things that should matter to the military, national security, foreign policy, but don't let them interfere. Uh, the politicians tend to look for an alliance with the military to try and discredit their opponent at the time.
0: One of the themes that stands out to me in this conversation. Um, is that so much of this election and party politics in Pakistan uh, is about personalities rather than issues. But if we look at other elections, I mean, let's take, for example, I'd say the world's most followed election, the U.S. election, Um, you know, there's always issues that are front and center, Uh, whether it's things like, you know, illegal immigration or reproductive rights, these kinds of things. Um, These are the issues that are batted back and forth. Um, Are there similar... Uh, issues in Pakistan that the
1: parties sort of cling to or that the, pu- the public is divided on that might decide the election? I think Johan and I would probably have to sort of both have a go at this question because my sense is that both all political parties have some men of age, So PTI represents, Imran Khan's party represents You know, the yearning for a quote unquote corruption free Pakistan and a Pakistan where everybody can have justice, but it doesn't have a fleshed out policy on how to do that. And when he was in power, I don't think he delivered much on it. Uh, Similarly, Nawaz Sharif's party is supposedly Pakistan's grand old party and it's Pakistani nationalism, but at the same time, you know, we have to have a functioning economy and positive relations with our neighbors. Uh, They don't always deliver on that either. Uh, the Pakistan People's Party's manifesto is more about social democracy. Let's give something to the poor. But, but those things are like in the background. At least in this particular election, it is even more in the background than they have traditionally been because Imran Khan has made it all about himself. Hmm. Uh, and it's all about, I'm going to try very hard to formulate this in a way it doesn't sound too critical, but the fact of the matter is he has publicly said that I don't mind taking U-turns or changing my position because it doesn't matter. What matters is that the person executing policies should be the good guy, and I'm the good guy. And so he's very much in the same tradition as Donald Trump or anybody else from the populist streak. And similarly, his followers are of that very nature as well. It's all very personal for them. Because it is so personal for them, therefore the others have also become very personal in this particular election. Uh, We have not seen... Uh, that much discussion of issues in the election. Although Pakistan has serious economic problems and everybody says I'm going to help the economy but without the details. Pakistan, for example, has to pay back $78 billion in loans over the next two years. I haven't heard from any political party about how they will do that except from Nawaz Sharif's party which says they will do it through massive uh, privatization of state-owned enterprises. Although there too the math may not necessarily add up. They may be able to sell off some assets for some billions of dollars, but it will still not add up to 78 billion. Um, And as far as the uh, Imran Khan's party is concerned, it is all about, you know, uh, bring back Imran or vote to eliminate injustice, meaning the injustice that is being meted out to Imran Khan. Uh, We are not sure what their policy plank is uh, for this particular election. Mm. Johan, what do you think?
2: Well, I'd certainly agree that these elections are, elections in general, are not decided on issues and that individual personalities play a big role. But in some ways, part of what attracts people to those personalities is the vision that they represent. So Nawaz Sharif represents, uh, at least for many in Punjab, a particular approach to development that is built around big projects, you know. We'll build roads. We'll, you know, we'll build power plants. We'll put in a, you know, a light rail system, and those kind of projects are exciting to many people because they represent jobs, but they also represent a kind of prestige. Imran Khan uh, represents a different vision, which is uh, this sort of. Uh, for he, like Donald Trump, he brought a lot of people into sort of a, into personal activism in the political sphere for the first time. And, and so it's it's this feeling of empowerment. Um, and it's also a, a, he represents a belief that Pakistan needs a new social contract, so a, a new deal, if you will. With the Bhutto's and, and PPP, uh, in Sindhi they represent the, the protection of Sindhi culture, um, but also a sort of left of center uh, commitment to helping people, uh, Especially rural Sindhis at the at the bottom of the barrel. So rural Sindhis, you know, often believe the party will provide some kind of balance uh, against their local landlords, even though many times it's the local landlords who are the you know running as members of parliament. So so each of them, these parties, do represent something different. And of course, as I was saying, the TLP uh, represents a, this sort of very radical uh, approach to you know, stamping out uh, insults against the prophet and, you know, sort of a, a just a, a very harsh approach to what they see as public morality and public religion. So there, there are different visions. Um, I would say that part of what's been shifting gradually over time is how people vote. For decades in, in rural Pakistan, many individuals casting their vote didn't really decide who they voted for. Uh, that decision was made by um, their larger kinship group, uh, their landlords, um, some larger social structure. What's been happening in the more prosperous parts of rural Pakistan, the ones that have experienced some level of development, is that people are now somewhat freer from the social structures and are making individual decisions. And that's part of what is making some of these contests much tougher and much harder to predict in the long run this is actually most of all a problem for the military uh, which has been able to rely on being able to shuffle sh- you know cut deals with with larger structures and shuffle around big chunks of votes so as the country becomes you know shifts and be, you know votes become more individualistic um, outcomes are much less predictable
0: okay so i just want to talk about imran khan um yeah. Once upon a time he was a cricket superstar, uh, now he's a populist firebrand, um, and he's very much been the face of Pakistan politics until very recently, um, until his government was ousted, but perhaps even um, afterwards. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday, January 31st, uh, and this morning uh, Mr. Khan was sentenced to 14 years in prison and barred from holding public office for the next 10 years. Uh, now Nawaz Sharif had a similar fate a while ago, he was also, a, he had a lifetime ban on holding public office, but that was subsequently lifted. Uh, and now a lot of people say he is the military's preferred choice uh, to lead Pakistan. What do you think, Mr. Haqqani, is the, the significance of Imran Khan's imprisonment? And um, is, is it is it real or is it more a political game? Could we see him re-emerge uh, in the future the way that uh, Mr. Sharif
1: has re-emerged? Well, we've seen almost everybody re-emerge from the past. Asif Ali Zardari was in prison for 11 and a half years without a conviction, by the way. Uh, And then he ended up being released and coming back and becoming president Uh, and the party coming back into office. Um, So a lot depends on a lot. Uh, But uh, in Imran Khan's case, there are two or three factors that must be borne in mind. One is his age. He's already in his 70s uh, when uh, uh, Benazir Bhutto was removed from office or when uh, when Nawaz Sharif was put into prison. They were relatively younger. Um, So if five or ten years go by and then Imran Khan comes back, he will not be the young Imran Khan or the young-looking Imran Khan uh, that his supporters have tended to support. Um, But he could come back. Uh, Secondly, the others have dynastic politics working for them. Dynastic politics also has an advantage. You have a clear uh, successor. It's your son or your daughter or your brother. Uh, whereas Imran Khan's party not being dynastic might actually work against him because once he's in prison and he's not the one rallying the support base, then who is doing that for him? His sons um, live in England and have uh, no interest or inclination to come back into Pakistani politics. Um, lastly, the nature of the party. The nature of the party is populist. The nature of the party is, as uh, Johan rightly pointed out, people who are frustrated with dynastic politics people who think that we need a new uh, way forward uh, urban middle class primarily young educated college educated high school educated pakistanis who are looking for uh, an more uh, sort of a, 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 an environment for more equal opportunities they don't want a job given to them as a gift uh, in patronage politics of the kind pursued by the ppp in sindh or the Pakistan Muslim League in Punjab. Uh, They want it as a way or for a system. Uh, But then um, uh, they will have grown up in a few years because exigencies of life, practicalities of life will require them to do something uh, with their lives. They can't just sit there on keyboards and um, tweeting for Imran Khan Uh, He has benefited enormously. His party is the most modern party in the sense of having the most effective social media. But then if social media is not backed by action on ground, if it's a protest campaign, then the protesters have to be somewhere on the streets. And if it is an electoral campaign, then it has to transform into votes. If none of that happens, then he will just be a celebrity about whom we will talk because he's a celebrity not because he is a politically relevant individual anymore.
0: Johan, I just want to give you the last question here, which is about, you know, you write a lot about um, the stability and fragility of of Pakistan's system. Uh, Do you think that when we see the back of this election, uh, perhaps on the morning of February 9th, uh, that Pakistan will end up uh, in a more or less stable place uh, for it?
2: I think in the short term, the elections will provide a fig leaf um, to the system in place. It'll it, the government that emerges will have more legitimacy than the caretaker government, which has no no mandate, but yet has been making some very big decisions. and And that kind of modicum of legitimacy is necessary to push through the tough IMF uh, reforms required to to keep the economy afloat, let alone make long-term improvements. But uh, looking further out than that, the as I was saying earlier, part of the reason the army is able to play this kingmaker role is because of the legitimacy that it had enjoyed. I think what has been very different about the Imran Khan you know, political insurgency of the last two years is the extent to which it has radicalized the people who were, you know, members of the status quo. So, a lot of uh, retired army officers are, you know, posting these very revolutionary sounding things on social media. Now, they they've stopped because they've they've been sort of the word has gotten out to them that uh, you need to stop doing this, but I don't I don't think their feelings have shifted. There's there's a lot of people who came up and said, "Well, this isn't our army anymore." And those kind of sentiments I think Um, ultimately will weaken the the army's power because it it represents a diminishment of their social base. So that does open the space up, not just to democratic politics, but just potentially more more chaotic politics if you have all of these civilian political leaders continuing to pursue zero-sum games, but no arbiter of who's winning and losing. And then secondly, as I said, there are really important changes happening in rural pakistan even people who might have been seen as one you know in the past as the little people now all have mobile phones with broadband connections and their sense of what is important is no longer dominated by well are we going to get a road or are we going to get a well it's they have a, a much broader view of what the nature of the problems in their life are and the nature of the solutions that are necessary. So many of those people were drawn to Imran Khan uh, and the PTI because um, their diagnosis of the obstacles they face in life struck them as true, and it fired them up. Now, whether or not the PTI remains a, a viable party or Imran Khan managed to stay in politics, um, those people are still, as I said, left with those feelings and all of that energy. So Pakistan's political system is either going to have to accommodate those desires or, or face uh, some real problems.
0: And that's a good place to leave it. Thanks very much to our guests, Hossein Haqqani and Johan Chako. This episode was produced by Arthur Edison, Doha Farid, and Phil Green. And I've been your host, Suleiman Hakimi. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to catch future episodes, you can find us on your favorite podcast platform. Just hit subscribe.